Yeah. Oh, did you know that when I was 18, 19 years old, I could strict curl 180 pounds? Yeah, thank you. And uh, when I was in my 20s, um, I was working at Exxon full time. I worked 60 hours a week. I took I was in college. I took 18 credits and I ran the junior high at my wife, my wife's church. I got four hours sleep a night and made it through that. When I was 38 years old, I went out for a semi-pro football team and I made it. I made the team at 38. Um, when I was 48 years old, I was in a confrontation with a 120-pound Akita, a Japanese war dog, trying to save someone's life. That I was actually able to save their life. But in that confrontation, I had to kind of fight the dog off, and I was pushing the dog back, trying to get attention more on me. And every time I would hit him, he'd bite me in the hand and bite me on the other hand. He bit me through the thigh, all the way through the thigh. Finally, I remember what my brother had said to me years before. He said, if you're ever in a fight with a large dog, the Greers talk about these kinds of things. You ever fight with a large dog, make sure you take away its primary weapon, which is its teeth. And so I, when, he, when he backed off a little bit, he was ready to launch again. I stuck my arm down. He bit me on the arm. I let him bite my arm. It was, like a, it was like a vice with teeth. He just clamped down on my arm. But when he bit my arm, he had, I had, he had two options. Number one, I reached over and I grabbed him by the neck. And I realized that if I twist this way, his neck's either going to break or he's going to let go and be ripped off his feet. And that's what happened. I pulled him. He came off his feet. He landed on his back. I landed on top of him, took my left hand, which was now bleeding profusely, stuck it in his collar, choked him and held him down until he passed out. When I was 54 years old, I was five months away from getting my black belt in Taekwondo. I felt like Spartacus, man. I was just like, yes, 54 years old, I'm going to get my black belt. And I was, I was there at the class and I was working toward my black belt and going through the black belt's form and everything and felt this little tinge of pain in my, my hip. And it just got worse. And I try to work through it. And they say work through, just work through it. It got worse and worse. And I couldn't do certain kicks. And I couldn't do certain twists and certain things. And all of a sudden, I started going to physical therapy. And, you know, if I just went to physical therapy, they'd work it out. And that didn't work. And finally went to a, a neurosurgeon, and, not neurosurgeon, <laughs> to um, a, a surgeon for, for my hip. And he said, he came out with these, um, with the, with the, with the uh, x-rays. And he said to me, um, Here's the thing. At some point in the future, you're going to have to have hip replacement. And I was like, wait a second. I'm Spartacus. I don't uh, hip replacement. What are you talking about? I'm about five months from getting my black belt in Taekwondo. And it went from I'm going to I'm going to be a black belt in Taekwondo to you need hip replacement. It was like a shocking experience. And he said, you have arthritis, you have terrible arthritis in both your hips. So at some point in the future, 10, 15 years, you're going to have to have hip replacement. I, I was an absolute shock. Here's the thing. I still have a heart for battle. You still have a heart for battle. But as we get older, we need to pick our battles more carefully. It's not that we still can't fight the battles, right? It's not that we don't want to fight the battles, but we need to pick those battles more carefully. Today, I want to look at the life of King David and the battles that King David fought throughout his life. 
Now, most of you know, most of you know the story of David and Goliath, right? Even if you've come to church one time in your life, you've probably heard this story of David and Goliath when you were growing up. But many of you have not heard of some of David's other battles, some of other David's other classic battles. I was uh, having lunch with my friend Sean Emery and we were going through all the, you know, the scriptures and all the different things that we really enjoyed in the battles. And we were going back and forth about obscure characters in the Bible. And he mentioned this story to me, reminded me of this story. And it was right in the midst when I was writing sermons for this series that we're in right now. And so, again, you may have heard of David and Goliath, but you may not have heard this story. This story takes place when, when David is an older man. He's a little older at this point. And so he still has a heart of a warrior, but things take a little bit of a turn. A story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. It says this, once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. So he's in this battle with the Philistines fighting these giants. And it says he became exhausted. Ishbibbanab, you know, I love that guy's name. Ishbibbanab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would go down and kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him. They said to him, never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamb of Israel will not be extinguished. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At this time, Sibaka, the Hushathite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in all, for those of you who can't add or multiply. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Thanks, Lord. Um, he, <laughs> some people are not good at math. He also was a descendant of Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shemiah, David's brother killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and, and they fell at the hands of David and his men, David's mighty men. As we get older, as we get older, our stories change, right? Our stories change, and our strategies need to change, because our battles change. We're getting older, the battles are different. And so our stories may change, but our strategy has to change as well because our battles change. We may still be and feel like and be that lion, but our teeth are a little bit dull, right? Our teeth just get a little bit dull and we, we can't seem to battle as long. When you were younger, I remember playing, uh, the high schoolers asked me to play football about, this is 15 or, you know, 15, 16 years ago. 
And they were asking me to play football with them. I said, yes, I love football. I'll go out and play football with you guys. And I went out and played football with them. And by mid-game, I was playing deep safety. I mean deep safety. Waiting for someone to come to me. All right? And usually just got around me. After the, after the game was over, the next day, I was calling my wife, Debbie, on the phone. You can ask her this story. And I was like, oh, she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I'm sitting. Oh, I'm just. And I, when I got home from work that night, I was in my car. I had to call in the house. The girls were there and I had to get one of them to come out and pull me out of the car. OK, I couldn't get out of the car myself. My, my legs, I, I had muscles that were hurting. I didn't even know I had different battles, different times. In our lives, our strategies need to change. You may still feel like a lion and you are still a lion, but your teeth may be a little dull. You can't seem to battle as long. And the Bible says that David became exhausted. He's in this battle. He's got the sword. He's fighting the giants. After a while, he just became exhausted. This series is called, Don't Just Leave a Legacy, Live a Legacy. What does it mean to live a legacy? It means that we consciously decide how we're going to live every single day of our lives. Not just every single day, moment by moment. How are we going to live our lives? It means, it means that we invest in the lives of those around us. We invest in their lives. So when the time comes where they have to face the giants, they're going to be prepared. They're going to be prepared for battle. It's not just about you fighting the battle all the time. It's not just about you rushing in and you taking it on. It's about you bringing others along with you, preparing them to fight the giants that they are going to face in their lives. We need to prepare them when their time comes. Our goal should be to live in such a way, in such a way that we inspire future generations to tell our God, to retell our God. God stories that they can look at great grandfather and grandmother and, 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 you know, and grandpa and grandma and, and mom and dad. And they can they remember the stories and they retell those stories to their children. And they, to their God stories, not just about them. It's about what God did through them. But more than that, what we want to do is inspire them to create their own stories, to live out their own stories, to build on what you have done, to build on your foundation, to invest in the lives of those around us is so critical and so meaningful to the kingdom of God. We should live, all of us should be thinking all the time that we need to live to an audience of one. And everyone around us should know it. We should be living to an audience of one, one, God. And everyone should know it, even our giants, actually, especially our giants. They should know who we are and what we stand for. Here's the reality of life that no one will be able to get around. No matter how old you get, if you are choosing to walk with Jesus Christ, the giants in your life, they're never going to stop coming. 
You're always going to have another giant to face. If you are older and you are still saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ, then you need to realize the giants are going to keep coming. They're going to keep facing down with you, facing you every single day. Each day of our lives, we face these types of giants. Here's the thing about giants. Giants have similar characteristics and similar, similar strategies. Similar characteristics and similar strategies. They like to, they like to taunt us. They like to, they like to taunt us because it weakens our soul, if you will. It weakens our soul. They like to taunt us, which, which makes us, makes it easier for them to beat us down. They taunt and they taunt and they taunt and, and we, we, we kind of push back a little bit and then they beat us down. They continually beat us. They try to beat us down. They yell into our minds, you are a loser and you come from a long line of losers. What makes you think you're capable of doing any of these things? Have you looked at your grandparents and your parents and now you're a loser and you come from a long line of losers. Just stay and listen. Let other people go out and fight the battles. You're not capable of fighting these battles. And they just taunt us and they speak into our hearts. They remind us. They remind us of our past failures. You think, you think you're gonna go, you're gonna do that? Can I, can we take a walk down memory lane for a moment? Do you remember back here when you tried this? Or do you remember, do you remember the time that you were so, you were gonna overcome this and you, you failed misery? They remind us, constantly remind us of our failures. They confront us within our personal fears, about our personal fears. Like, you know, you know, I talk about how I went out for that semi-pro football team. Right? 38 years, I made the football team at 38 years old. I immediately retired, immediately retired and became their chaplain, just so you know. Never played one down. Because a guy in front of me could bench like 340 pounds and everybody out, everybody there looked like they wanted to hurt somebody. All I wanted to do was make the team. You know why I wanted to make the team? Because when I was in high school, I loved football, lived for football, but never went out for the team, the high school team. Why? Because I was, I had fear. I didn't know the people on the team. I didn't like the people. I knew some of them didn't like them. I had my group of friends in the apartment complex in New York. I didn't want to venture out and deal with anybody else. So I didn't go out for the team and I regretted it for 20 years of my life. And then when I saw the semi-pro team, it wasn't about making the team. It was about just going out for the team. We need to realize that our giants are going to constantly taunt us. They're going to attack our personal fears. They're going to point out our weaknesses. They're going to point out our flaws, all with the idea of beating us down. Their goal is to break you down and knock down your spiritual defenses so, defenses so you feel defenseless as they come to, they stand over you and they hold you down and they keep you down. That's the goal. That's the characteristic. That's the strategy of giants. They taunt you. Goliath, remember Goliath taunted the army of Israel. And they were they were they were panicked. They were they were frightened. Fear overtook them. They wouldn't go out to battle with him. God's people were overwhelmed. And here's the thing, given a chance, your giants will do the exact same thing to you. They will come at you. 
They will, they will continually taunt you. They will belittle you. They will accuse you. They will lie to you until you feel small and you feel weak. They'll do the same thing to you that they did to the ten spies who went out with Caleb and Joshua to to spy out the promised land. You remember those spies? Twelve of them went out. Caleb and Joshua, the only ones who came back with with a good report. The The other ten spies were overwhelmed. What were they overwhelmed by? It says in Numbers 13, 33, they said this, We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like, listen to their words, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They lost the battle before they even started. Because the giants spoke into their lives, you're weak, you're nothing compared to us. Just sit in your seats, listen to the pastor, but that's about it. Because you're not capable, you know your weaknesses, let me remind you of your past failures, let me talk about your fears, are you kidding me, you? Look at your parents, look at your grandparents, look around you, you're not capable, and they beat you down, and they knock down your spiritual defenses, and then you just become prey, if you will. Here's the thing. God has created every single one of us. God has designed every single one of us to live in the promised land. But here's my problem once again. If that's the case, why is it that the majority of Christians live and die in the desert? Why are we choosing to live in the desert when God has designed us, has created us, has purposed us to live in the promised land and to have an abundant Christian life, but then we choose to live in the desert and we choose to die in the desert. When David was a young man, he defeated Goliath. He defeated Goliath. But the giants never seemed to stop coming at us. Right? He was able to defeat Goliath. But those giants never seemed to stop coming at us. Giants like Goliath still roam this world today. Only now they take on the form of debt. They take on the form of of difficult and broken relationships. They take on the form of illnesses. They take on the form of loneliness. They take on the form of discouragement. They take on the form of fear. They take on all these forms and they're still there. They're still there right with us. That's why we always need to be on our guard. We can never let our spiritual guard down. Knowing this truth, David prepared himself to take on the giant Goliath and whatever else was going to come his way. He prepared himself. David was prepared. David was prepared. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 40, it says this. Then he took, right before he was going to face Goliath, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Have you ever wondered why David picked up five smooth stones when he was only fighting one giant, Goliath? We'll get back to that in a minute. If, if you remember, God gave David, think about this, go back to David and Goliath in that whole story. 
If you remember, God gave David strength and courage to take on a bear. Before he fought Goliath, he had taken on a bear. And if you remember that God gave him strength and courage to take on a lion, David had taken on lions and bears. And in this case, God gave him the strength and the courage to take on this new battle, to take on this new giant. Like like his other fights, David ran not from, but toward the battle. This is so important for us to understand. David didn't run from the battle, he ran toward the giant. If you recall, Saul, King Saul, ran away from the battle. The Israelites ran away from the battle. But David, David ran toward the battle. When David took on Goliath, when David Cook took on Goliath, no one thought this kid was actually going to win. You know that, right? You know that. You're on, your, you're on the story. No one actually thought this kid was going... No one was betting on the skinny teenager from Bethlehem. I'm just telling you. Okay? Goliath's out there. Goliath is massive. All decked out in his garb. He's a monster. And then David says, I can take him. No one was betting on the kid from Bethlehem. Not King Saul. Not the Israelites, certainly not the Philistines, not his brothers, not his father. No one was, no one was betting on him. But you know who was betting on him? God was betting on David. And so because God was betting on him, David ran toward the giant. We, here's the deal. We don't, this isn't just stories in the past. We need to do the same. We need to do the same. We need to face our giants head on. We need to face our giants head on. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can stand against you? This isn't, these aren't my words. These come from the word of God. David ran toward the giant. David ran toward the battle. David took him on. He head on. And we need to do the same thing. You need to take your giant. Head on, head on. Why? Because if God is for us, who can stand against us? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I keep this last week. We talked about this. Here is the problem with so many Christians. You don't know who you are. You don't know your birthright. You don't understand your birthright. So the giants come and snatch it away from you. So you choose to live in the desert instead of the promised land because of what they say to you. Because you don't know who you are. You don't know you're a royal priesthood. You don't know you're a holy nation. You don't know you're a person belonging to God. And that there's nothing on this earth or anywhere else in the universe that can stand against a person who's filled with the spirit of the living God. That's the truth. Everything else is a lie. But we don't always know that. We need to face our fears head on. We need to face our past failures and confront them head on. When we do, we find victory. And that's not the most important thing here. Not only do we find victory, but we teach those who are around us, we teach those who are coming behind us how to find victory as well. How to take on their giants as well. How to overcome their weaknesses. How to overcome their fears as well. But we need to set the example. How are they going to know... 
how to navigate difficult relationships if you run from them? How are they going to know how to stand up under the pressure if you don't? How are they going to know how to be disciplined in their faith? How to overcome the, the temptations and the, all those things that weigh on them? How are they going to know how to overcome those things and be disciplined in their spiritual life if you're not? We teach more is caught than taught. My words are, my words are important. My actions are even more important. We need to teach them. Here's the truth about the failed strategies of most, that most people use in dealing with their issues. This is, this is just truth I'm going to lay out to you. Hiding from your hurts won't heal them. Dwell, dwelling on your problems won't solve them. It, it just won't solve them. Remembering your, when you remember your, your, your rejections, that won't change them. You're holding on to those. You're remembering those things. Your giant's constantly speaking into you. Suppressing your memories won't erase them. We can't hide from these things. We need to face them head on. But everything around you, the, the enemy constantly speaks into your mind that you should run from, that you should hide from them, that you, should, you shouldn't deal with them, you should try to suppress them, you should make them... No, you should face them head on. Why? Because you have the power of the living God in you. You have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in you. You have the power of the spirit of the living God in you. You need to face them head on. We need to... Find Follow David's lead and face life's challenges head on. Now, I just want to pause for just a moment because God impressed upon me um, the last couple of days that that I'm just going to say this. Some of you have are not living out your faith. Some of you are are not truly living the way God has called you to live because you're 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 still dealing with the abortion that you had. And you're, you're dealing with this and you're letting it overwhelm you. Satan is using it. Satan is using this event in your life to keep you in bondage. If you have asked for forgiveness, then God has forgiven you. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 103 verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Bible says that he had literally forgotten what we have done once we've asked forgiveness. He chooses to forget. Therein lies the truth. Remember what it said in, in 1 Samuel last week, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6. It says, and the spirit of the Lord. Remember I was talking about how, how when the spirit of the Lord, Lord comes on people, miraculous things happen, right? The spirit of the Lord came on Othniel and he defeated the king of Mesopotamia. The spirit of the Lord came, came upon Samson and Samson was attacked by a young lion. And it says that Samson tore the lion apart like he would have torn apart a young goat. And the spirit of the Lord came upon. And we said, it's not just them. It's not just them that the spirit of the Lord comes upon. It is us. It is you. And it says that in 1 Samuel 10, 6. And the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you shall prophesy with them and you shall be turned into another person. Are you hearing this truth? You shall be turned into another person. God said you are forgiven. Hear my heart. 
Stop calling God a liar. God has said that you, whatever it is, whatever it is, God had a specific thing for me to bring up. But it could be a whole host of other things. If you have asked for forgiveness, you are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That sin has been forgiven. God has forgiven you. You need to stop calling God a liar. And here's the thing. You need to forgive yourself. The issue isn't about God forgiving you. The issue is you need to forgive yourself. You need to begin to live in the promises of God. You need to begin to truly live in the blessing and the promises of God. You need to start living in the promised land and get out of the desert. Because he has forgiven you. Stop stop living out your past and start living out God's promises. You are no longer in bondage. You are set free. You have been forgiven. And I say this with all the love in my heart. You need to stop calling God a liar. You need to forgive yourself. And you need to start living the life that God has called you to live. All of us need to know and remember that. Okay, back to David. So years, years later, when the Philistines attack again, David again charges in. He charges into the battle. So you got the battle going on. It's like muscle memory, right? Muscle memory. See the giant, fight the giant, kill the giant. And David saw giants. And so his brain kicked in, right? He's a lion. So he sees the giants and he's like, battle, mighty man, let's go. And he jumps right into the fray with them. Muscle memory. These giants, David probably thought to himself, you think about this, David probably thought to himself, oh, these giants, they're medium-sized giants. I beat Goliath, right? These these guys are going to be a cakewalk compared to Goliath. But here's the thing, circumstances have now changed. Your hip gets a little sore. Right. You got tendonitis in your arm, you know, and and you you can't fight as long. You can't fight as long. David was still David was still a lion. I am. You are still a lion. I don't care how old you are. You are still that lion. You're an old lion. You're a young lion. You're a middle aged. It doesn't matter. You're still a lion. But the thing with David is he he, he, he's kind of lost those cat like reflexes. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't have the reflexes he used to have. Doesn't have the stamina that he used to have. Now let's get back to the, a question I asked earlier. Why would David pick up five stones? Why would David go to the stream and pick up five smooth stones if he's only fighting one giant? Lack of confidence? I don't think so. Not when he was that teenager. Not when he was even now. Lack of confidence, he jumps right in. So I don't think it was a, a lack of confidence. Could it be? Could it be? That he knew that Goliath had four brothers. Because that's who, that's the, that's what I read you earlier. Those were the Rapha, the descendants of Rapha. There was a Goliath, what I believe, Goliath's four brothers, or at least four relatives, what I believe, and after studying, it was four brothers. So maybe, and maybe he didn't know exactly when his brothers would be coming out to try to take him on. Because after he fought Goliath, because he was down in the valley, right? And there's all these hills and the, the, the Israelites are on one side and the, and, the, and the Philistines are on the other side. And David's fighting Goliath and David takes down Goliath and he goes, bam, it's over. He, how does he know that the brothers aren't going to come down at that point and try to kill him? 
Just opinion. Why do you pick up five stones? Goliath and then four brothers. That's just my opinion. He didn't know. Here's the thing. They didn't come that day. But they did come. They didn't come that, his brother didn't come that day, but the Bible says they did come. They, they were, they, they were there. They did show up. The Bible says once again, once again, there was a battle. And here's the thing, and another, and I don't mean to discourage you, but this is just a reality of the Christian walk. There, here they come, the, here come the brothers, and there was another battle, and there was another battle, and there was another battle, and they just kept coming. The Christian life is just filled with battles, and they never stop coming. We need to be reading the word of God and staying prepared. You know what good book you can read to help you with this? The screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis. Write that down. Screw tape letters. Right. It's not a very long read, but it will help you understand how the enemy like this. He has a brilliant way of kind of laying out the way the enemy thinks in these spiritual battles. But they never stop coming. Like I said, David was now an older man. He had fought a lot of battles, right? He had vanquished a lot of enemies, but that does not mean that David was indestructible. David was just a man, and he was getting older. It doesn't mean he was indestructible. He wasn't indestructible. In this fight, in the fight he took on here, he almost, he almost lost it. He almost lost his life. He went into battle. He grew weary. And one of the giants was like, now's my opportunity. I'm going to go down and I'm going to kill David. Listen, I want you to really listen to what I'm saying. You may have beaten your Goliath in the past, whatever it is for you. You're, you're, you lied. You were, you were kind of a liar. Uh, you were addicted to some, your, your lust had overtaken you. Um, you, whatever, you, you're, you have foul language all the time. You were on drugs or alcohol. You were an alcoholic, whatever. And you may have conquered that Goliath. You may have taken him on. You may have beaten Goliath. You may have faced those hurts head on. You may have overcome those fears that were confronting you. You may have confronted those sins. But again, here's the deal. That doesn't mean the battle's over. Because there's always a younger contender wanting to come after you and try to take you down. And the moment you say, oh, I think I've overcome that. I haven't dealt with that in the last few years. I've been sober for, or I've been, I've overcome my poor pornography issue, or I've overcome this, or I don't really lie much anymore at all. I've really disciplined myself. The moment you feel comfortable and the moment you let down your guard, there's always going to be a brother of Goliath. You've beaten Goliath, but his brothers are still coming. And you need to be prepared. You need to stay prepared. And at this point, it's not just you being prepared. You're preparing other people to fight those battles with you. And in this case, with David, the younger contender was one of Goliath's brothers. Second Samuel, go back to Second Samuel 21, six, starting at verse 16. My favorite name, Ishbibbanab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would go down and kill David. But Abishai... Son of Zeruah came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. David still had the heart. But there comes a time that we need to recognize our limitations and that we're, we're better used to fight on another battlefield. 
It's not that you're not a lion anymore. It's not that you're not ready to fight and take on the giants anymore. But you just need to learn to fight on a different battlefield. That's why you want to continue investing in the lives of those around you. The ones who come after you. Because they're the ones now that need to take on those battles. There's other battles that you can take on. David's men, this is Jeff's kind of like, this is how I would have kind of put it. 21st century. David's men come to David and say, David, your man card is laminated. Okay? There's absolutely no question. Bears, lions, giants. You fought so many battles. You want Your man card is laminated, but you are so much more valuable to the nation. We can't have you out here fighting these same types of battles. You know, I love George Washington. I love reading about George Washington. George Washington, his men would constantly say, George, for good, he didn't say it like that, but for goodness sake, move back. George Washington was almost always on the front lines. He was almost killed multiple times in the war, multiple times. And his men would say, we don't need you here. You are a man. Your man card is laminated. You can, you're a lion. You can fight. But if we would be okay with you, we're not going to allow you to fight up here anymore. We need you back here. If you go down, we don't have the skills that you have. We can't lead like you can lead. Get off the battlefield. Get off this battlefield. Go pick a different battlefield. This is not where you need to be right now. Part of living a legacy is knowing to when you need to let others step up and take leadership. When to have them step up and take leadership in the company. When to let them step up, step up and take leadership in the church, in the organization, in the home, whatever it is. Some of you, you have a matriarch and a patriarch in your family and your mom with your dad died. She's a, she's a matriarch. And, and, and you know what? At a certain point, they can't, they can't have that. They can't have that role anymore. You need to step in and take on the responsibility in the home that they, that they prepared you to take on. They can't do it anymore. And that's what David's men are saying. David, you're the man, but we, you're too valuable to, to be jumping into the fray with these giants. We need to recognize our boundaries and we need to depend on those who, who we've invested in to fight with us, honestly, even to fight for us. Like Abishai had to. There are times where we're going to say, I need you to fight with me. But honestly, there comes a time in our lives and sometimes even in my life now that I I have to say to some of the other staff, I need you to fight for me. I need you to fight this battle for me. I'm a little tired. I've, I've got a lot on my plate. You guys need to take on these things for me. But we need to allow them to do that. That's why living a legacy is so important. Because we are constantly, we need to be constantly teaching people through our actions and by, through, through our words and by our actions. Trying to live it out for them so they can see how to do it. And they begin to live their lives. We need to allow them to express themselves we, 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 we need to, to have those around us allow them.
them to shine. Allow them to show us their strengths and show their strengths to everyone else that they're prepared, that they're already, that they're ready to step in and save you if necessary because you've prepared them. These were David's mighty men. They weren't mighty men because they came mighty men. David built into them and they were his inner circle. These were the guys that he invested in and now they're coming back and they're saving his life. And I'm telling you something, we need to give them the chance to shine. And we need to give them the chance to show their strengths. Because we may need them sooner than we think. Let me tell you something, no one can fight an army on their own. No one can, no, no one can, no one can fight alone on too many fronts. They need someone else to come along beside them and fight with them to overcome the enemy. I found a, I found a video clip that I think fits this perfectly. Watch this. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. straight into the middle of the hyena clam. (laughs) He's trapped by over 20 of them. for 20. 
twenty hyenas. A pair of male lions is too much to take on. Red is lucky. I love this passage in Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says that though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. That's what we need to keep in our minds. Wisdom will help us to know which battles that we can fight. And which ones that we need allow, to allow others to fight. Or which ones we need people to come around us. And most of the time we do need people around us constantly fighting alongside of us. David's primary strength at this point, his primary strength was not being on the battlefield with the sword fighting the giants the way he used to. It was leading. It was leading. It was teaching. It was training. It was investing. It was setting the example for others to follow. Fighting on a different battlefield. Still a lion, but fighting on a different battlefield. David realized that what matters most when he is gone is what he leaves behind. What is going to matter most when he leaves this world is who he leaves behind to fight those battles. Like David, we, we need, we need to take responsibility. All of us need to take the responsibility. Every single person here needs to be thinking, how can I invest in the lives of others? We need to take the responsibility to raise up other mighty men and other mighty women who will then do things that we could only imagine. The, the greatest thing about my life that I think of all the time is I am, I want, I am not, I want to be that lion and I'm going to be that lion when I'm 80 years old, but my, my, my role is going to change. My responsibilities are going to change, but I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight and I'm going to roar and I'm going to fight. And here's the thing. The exciting thing for me is not really what I'm going to accomplish in this life. What's exciting for me is to be able to, is to know that when I leave this place, I have invested in the lives of others, my children, my church, the people around me that I've invested in them, and that they're going to do things so far beyond what I've ever even imagined for this church. That's the exciting thing. It isn't about you. It isn't about you. It's about you living a legacy every single day, setting an example every single day so that others can follow, so that others have that courage, so that they're prepared, so that they're not afraid, so they learn how to overcome their weaknesses and they learn how to overcome their fears. You tell the stories of why you did what you did. When I told those stories in the very beginning, they're really not about, oh, I was so strong when I was younger. They're really about weakness. And how I overcame that weakness through the power of God. And how he took someone who was fearful and, and, and turned into a person who has become more fearless. How does that happen? How does that happen? Only through the power of the spirit of the living God. Living a legacy means outliving our lives. That's what it means. It means you outlive your own life. It means you recognize that each stage of your life 
is an opportunity for you to build into that next generation. It's just another opportunity at a different stage in your life to invest in the lives of others because you understand, you begin to understand what you leave behind will not be chiseled in stone. It will be woven into the fabric of human hearts. It's not what they talk about on your gravestone. It's them talking about you because you have woven into the fabric of their hearts. That's how you echo in eternity. That's how you live a legacy. That's how you leave a legacy. David's story is awesome. And and it's in telling a story like this where David had to, his men had to say, David, no more. We love you. You're, you're the man, but it's time to fight on a different battlefield. We need you too much over here. We'll take on, we'll take on these giants. You take on different, different giants. We, each one of us need to recognize that in our own lives, need to see ourselves as those lions who are going to live every single day according to the word of God, who are not going to shrink back, who are going to stand, who are going to overcome their weaknesses and their fears, and who are going to consciously set an example for others to follow. My friends, our lives are important and we want to live it to the fullest. I want to live out every bit that God has for me. But at the end of my life, I won't, be recog- I won't be sitting around just recognizing what I've done and I've accomplished. I'll be thinking about so many of you and what you're going to accomplish and what your children are going to accomplish. I literally, at this point in my life, see your kids running around and my grandkids running around and my son running around. And I think I can picture the little ones now being adults and thinking, what kind of monsters are we creating in a good way? What kind of giant killers are we investing in? We got to keep it going. We got to live in such a way that our children look at us and say, man, in a, in a good way, I want to outdo them. I want to I live in such a way that I can tell my God story to my grandchildren. And that comes from every single one of us taking a step back and saying, how can I be investing in the lives? How can I be giving opportunities to others so that they can shine, so that they can show their strength? Because we may need them sooner than we think. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. God, I pray that you would just help us to apply these words to our lives. God, I know it's difficult, but we're up for the challenge. And we pray, dear God, that we would just be open vessels, that you would pour into us, that you would sharpen, Lord, our teeth and prepare us for whatever battle you have for us. Only let us remember that we're setting an example for others to follow. And God, I pray they would, they would so, they would so far outshine us for your kingdom and that we would leave a legacy worthy of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you. Have a great, great day.